it's Sylvia Frost here with Mary Novak, and we're very excited to be back after a long hiatus. We've both kind of just gotten really busy, but now we have a whole bunch of shows to share with you, and the first of which is our show with the wonderful Beth Revis. Um, Mary, do you want to talk a little bit about what we're going to go over in this interview with her? Because it's pretty cool. Certainly. So Beth Beth Revis is a New York Times bestselling young adult author. She has both traditionally published books and self-published books, including um, Advice for Writers, which is one of one of the books that we talk about here. Um, we joined this interview a little bit in progress in the middle of a really interesting question, which is uh, Beth's writing guide mentioned just off the cuff that she had sent out more than a thousand query letters before she was ever published. So we asked Beth about that, and she explained that basically she had written a book a year for 10 years years and would query each one to about 100 agents at a time and if that book didn't move on then she would move on to her next book and so um, her first best-selling book was the 10th book that she queried yeah and that's awesome so let's just get right into it it was a kind of a brutal way to do it but I also I had a friend who had a novel and she wanted it traditionally published and she toiled over that novel for years almost a decade and it was just one of those things. It, it just wasn't going to happen from the ground mm. up. The idea wasn't unique enough. She could have moved on, and I did not want to stagnate. So for each book, I gave myself about a year to write, edit, and start submitting it. And I gave myself about 100 agents. And once, those, once they all rejected it, I just moved on. Uh, we're here with, with Beth Revis, who wrote uh, Across the Universe, a fantastic sci-fi young adult uh, author who also wrote The Body Electric and some awesome writing guides. Um, why, don't, why don't we talk about those those writing guides now? Um, uh, Mary, uh, do you did you have any thoughts on them? Well, something, so the, the writing guides, you've, you've got three. We read the, we read the um, writer's um, guide itself. Yes, um, and what struck me was, it seems to me that you're very philosophical is the, the word I want in both in kind of how you're thinking about writing and sort of, again, accepting some of these blows like a thousand um, query letters and treating them as opportunities. And, um, and I see that, that kind of thoughtful quality in your, in your novels as well. Um, I'm not sure if this leads to a question, but it's more that it was, I feel like a lot of your readers of both these guides and your books must really connect to that sort of thoughtfulness and philosophy and, you know, taking on heaps of adversity as your characters do and um, and just sort of rolling with it anyway. Yeah, I, I would also, I'd also wonder what was the inspiration for writing these books and what, what do you want kind of aspiring authors to know and, and to learn from your journey? Like if you were going to yeah. do it all over again, what would you do differently? I think a lot of, a lot of the book of, at least got its start of me just being very angry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there, I... There are some people I know, and I, I won't name any names, but there are some people I know who got their first book published and published well and hit list and, and all of this. And their attitude when people, I would be on panels with them at conventions or on, at signings, and their attitude was like, oh, well, if you're good enough, of course you'll be published immediately. Or, <laughs> or, or, or just like, oh, what? This is hard? And I'm like, oh, no, God. actually, it is hard. And the vast majority of people 
don't have their first book published. And the vast majority of people have to learn the craft as they go. And honestly, the vast majority of people who do get their first book published struggle with the next one because they haven't learned how to deal with rejection at all. Right. And that, that really was where I started, started writing the articles and the articles started off on my blog and then they shifted from blog to Wattpad and then from Wattpad into an actual book when enough people wanted it. And that's where it started from. I, I just saw so many people who, who felt like if they wrote one book and it didn't make it, their entire writing career was over and they weren't mm-hmm. good enough and would never be good enough. And that just wasn't the case. And so that's, that's where a lot of it started from. Yeah. I, I think that's such an awesome goal. I, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you. I think, you know, whether you're, whether you are finding that process through rejection or whether you are finding that process through publishing in the self-publishing realm, I think, you know, writing is not for the vast majority of people isn't a talent. It's a skill that you build over time. Nobody expects a painter's first painting to be at the Met. Right. But mm-hmm. everybody expects your first novel to be published. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, I also wonder, uh, you know, I really liked, I know Mary and I both really liked what you had to say about the difference between YA and middle grade and YA kind of being, uh, Mary, I think you might remember how this is phrased better than I do, but. Well, and and Beth's probably better than both of us. I did never (laughs) come across a formulation like you offered, um, late in the Paper Hearts, um, writing advice book, which was that. Uh, as I understood it, that, you know, how do you know which one you're writing? Middle grade is sort of about learning who you are, especially kind of in relation to your group and, um, or maybe not even that, but sort of learning who you are and, and, and getting through like, what is, what is my experience in the world? And then YA is about somehow, you know, exploring a wider world and finding your place in the wider world. How did you come Uh, up with that? Or is that even what you said? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's it. Um, It it was extrapolated from something that author Alan Gratz said at a signing that I was at with him. And and he mentioned how middle grade is more community-based and YA is more world-based. But then as I was processing that, I also connected it to the fact that both middle grade and YA are about finding yourself. And it was that connection between finding yourself within your small world versus finding yourself within the world as a whole yeah. that really drew yeah. that for me. Yeah. Well, that that's yeah. fantastic. I mean, but another thing that strikes me is as I was kind of working through, especially across the universe, Body Electric has some of this as well. Um, but it really struck me how there's a thread through these books that is so bleak's the word I have, but it's not what I mean. And I don't mean, and what I I don't mean, they're bleak books. They feel important. I'm trying to get my arms around what I consider sort of a philosophical quality in your books that reading reviews of your books, like reading reader reviews of your books, it seemed to me that part of your audience is really drawn to this feeling that they are reading something important and they are reading something thoughtful and they are reading a way to look at the world, which is really coming across this interview too, um, is that, you know, you've got a distinct, you know, personal and carefully crafted view of the world and you have it to share. Um, so I, I, what's that like on your side, Beth? <laughs> um, I think that there was a learning process in writing those 10 novels that didn't get published. And one of the, re- one of the learning things was I felt like I had to make a story be important, but a lot of my first, very, very first novels 
were heavy handed and allegorical. Mm, and I was in yeah, college yeah. at the time and I was very full of myself. So let mm. me preface that. And that's one of the reasons why they will never be published. Um, and I had a sort of revelation later on that I needed to trust my reader to be smart enough to develop meaning without me hitting them over the head with it. Yeah. Wow. And so I, I tend to write with a very broad idea and I don't even always get that idea until after I've written and I'm in the revision stage, but with the across the universe books and also with the body electric, the very broad idea is that you need to make your own choices in life. And that if you take away choice, that is the height of evil and you need to make those choices. And mm -hmm. that's ultimately what those books are. But instead of, I mean, I hope I don't beat the reader over the head with it. My bad guy is somebody who takes away people's ability to choose things. Mm -hmm. And my heroes are people who actively choose and actively try to give other people the ability to choose what they want in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I, you know, I feel like that you did a really good job because the, I mean, while that fits to me, that wasn't like, I never felt like that was, it was seated. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't okay. a hammer. I think you did a really good job with that. Um, right. I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, since you've written books on writing, what are mm -hmm. some of the books that other people have written on writing that you'd recommend? Yeah, I think if, especially if you're just starting out, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat is a fantastic mm. look into how a story can just be broken down into its parts right. and that a story can be the sum of its parts. Um, it's, it's extraordinarily simple, but there's beauty in the simplicity of that book. Right. Um, I also really liked Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird. Mm-hmm. That that's more of the philosophical side, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's mm -hmm. there's a talk by Michael Michael Haig and Chris Vogler, and yes. it's there's a video and there's also I think they have an audio version of it, and that one is a fantastic look at story structure and bringing the hero's journey applicable to modern day stories. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Right. That's I'll have my, to listen to that. It. That very lecture is my first like aha moment in yeah. oh I could do this and I can understand how they put this together. Mm -hmm. How cool. That's brilliant. So Sylvia pointed out how the, the pro, I mean, your prose is so, is lovely and readable. Like I'm, I'm not that into prose that is lovely and a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> and, and then there's, but we, you know, there's, we could point to a lot of, a lot of uh, sentences or paragraphs that are really lovely. And uh, I was wondering, like looking at the editing process for, across the universe, how, how do you get there? How much of that just flows out the first time and how much of that is going back through? And yeah, do you have any specific techniques you use to kind of get that flow and that readability? I'm so glad you feel this way because this is actually the thing that I'm struggling with right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just read um, Passenger by Alexandra Bracken and I, as, as I was reading it, I would just sit back and go, damn, she is good. And then, like, wail that I would never be as good as that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think for me, I try to absorb good writing. Um, and there, there's always a level of what kind of books I read. When I am in the trying to figure out the plot of a book, I read really trashy novels. The ones that are basically soap operas that have no skill level and they're just plot and nothing else. Right, right, right. And that kind of helps me get that going. And when I get to the point where I, I really know the heart of the story and I need to focus on the words. I read the beautiful novels like Carrie Ryan and Lady Taylor. And I, I try to absorb them without copying them and without feeling so bad about myself that I just want right. to burn the manuscript. Right. Um, so, so that's where I go with it. I don't 
end up editing, whatever comes out on the page tends to be the final version of the text. I'll cut a lot and I'll rewrite a lot, but I don't tweak a lot, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I try to get it right the first time. I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a difficult thing. I've actually just started trying to open my writing sessions by writing a little poem for myself and really play with the words and really focus on, on the prose part of it so that I can hopefully inspire myself during the, mm-hmm. the novel writing side of it. But yeah. it's too early to tell if that's working. How do you keep the balance? That's one thing I think about a lot. Um, I've really gotten into, I don't know if you know, uh, Margie Lawson. Um, she has this kind of editing system where you basically go in and you highlight all the different parts of the book by like dialogue, internalization, description, action, um, beats, dialogue, like beats, you know, like dialogue tags. Um, and it's, I found it really useful for me, but one thing I've noticed is that it's always kind of a balance in making for me, making sure my writing is kind of somewhat lyrical, but accessible. So how do you think about that at all? Or, um, I think the most I think about it is when I'm writing, somebody once gave me the advice that if you have to have an information dump of whatever, either through narration or dialogue, make it be couched around something exciting. Mm. And, and the example that this author friend of mine gave was she had to have a character like talk and it was kind of a boring talk. So she set it in a karate dojo and nice. they have the conversation as they're sparring. Mm. So as I write, I, I do try to find that balance whenever I, I know when I have these big info dumps coming. Right. So I try to set it up in something to balance it as I write. Um, mm. And then the other thing I try to do is c- use comparisons. That's, that's yeah, yeah. My, my biggest takeaway in description is as I compare something to something else in, I hope, a surprising different way. Right. And I, I let my comparisons do a lot of heavy lifting in descriptions. Right, right, yeah. Um. Let's see. So something. Uh, so we, we, I'm curious about your audience, and I'm curious about what you know about your audience and who your books speak to, and you know what it, the people that really connect with them. Yeah. Why do the people who read you read you? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I just don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a, when I when I think it was when A Million Sons came out, and I I was on my second book tour, and we did. Uh, a sort of a talk radio program with Sirius Satellite XM Radio, and they had a call-in, and the radio host told me that most of the call-ins for me specifically were from truck drivers, and she was like, I just want you to know your demographic. You have a strong demographic with 40-something truck drivers. No way. That is so wild. (laughs) I had no idea. Thanks for telling me. Um, So I I really don't know. I get a lot of fan mail from older gentlemen who will start their email and say, I am not your target audience at all, but I read your book. Well, that means you're my target audience. Anybody who reads my book and loves it, I'm writing for you. Just keep doing that. So I I have no idea. (laughs) Well, I noticed that too in your reviews. I mean, it might not be, you know, it's still a YA book. So I I would sort of guess it's probably, you know, there's a large amount of adults reading YA now. And I think it has to do with a really cool point you made in your Paper Hearts book about YA novels being about finding yourself and that excitement of self-discovery and and figuring out who you are, whereas Mm -hmm. literary and older novels, who you are is already established. And and I think there is, 
I think that I remember when I was like I could never really feel out, figure out why it took me so long to get into adult fiction and I think that's the reason why is that that narrative of figuring out who you are is so compelling I remember that transition too. I remember making, as you say that, yes, absolutely. I remember that transition of trying to find the books that I liked that were about things that I liked and kind of staying in YA land for a really long time uh, instead because I couldn't, like things that were about sort of like 1980s adult concerns, which had a lot to do with like, you know, Fletch sleeping with every girl that he ran across while he's solving his mystery. There are a lot of books about English professors sleeping with their students. I will just yeah. say that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and most was, of them are written by English professors. I know, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, so I, you're absolutely right. I remember that too. And also, I, I'm sort of thinking about your audience. And to bring it personally, when I was younger, I had a relatively unchallenged childhood and I and also kind of a longing for escape. And so for me, when I was younger, humor was the like rock bottom requirement for me. Mm -hmm. Like Hitchhiker's Guide was my Bible for a long time. I love it. My mom did not have that kind of childhood. And she preferred, like if she was going to read, then she would be reading the most intense suffering and survivor stories, especially real life ones, because that was what she could lie to. That that was much more like what she'd grown up as. Um, and And because she wanted to see those people prevail. And I feel like in all of this large and sort of beautiful thought in your books, that something that really comes through is that these are about people who are often trapped in very bleak worlds um, that don't offer a lot of like, well, that don't offer a lot of escape necessarily, but they prevail like they're unbowed. Um, your your heroes and heroines are just sort of they will they you you, you can't imagine them quitting, and yeah. sort of no matter what else comes at them, they're still going to pick it up and go on. I think that's actually the the appeal of dystopians as a genre, especially in YA as a whole. It's it's not that there were a lot of articles when Divergent came out and Hunger Games about how bleak YA books are and what about the children. The point is. <laughs> The point is not that, that we're writing these stories of darkness for children. It's that we're writing about people who face the darkness and fight the darkness. Yeah. And right. that's, that's where the power of a dystopian or any kind of dark novel really lies. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that yours, your, your books are a good example of there is the darkness. It's a really dark world. <laughs> But that doesn't crush the characters. Like the, the characters don't become completely bent by it and sort of unable to process anything but you can imagine them being happy that it goes down to that old saying where real courage is not standing up real courage is standing up after you've already fallen down yeah 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 i i I really i'm feeling such a powerful wave of that from your interview like i think that this like your own courage, I think, comes through whatever form it takes. I just feel like your own courage is coming through your writing career, coming through your books. And that, I mean, that's intangible and hard to copy. But I think. Mary? Are we gone? No, you're back. Well, um, I was going okay. to say that I'm going to replay that message over and over again. <laughs> I'm sure having these self doubts. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so interesting about, about the truck drivers. Um, and. and I think my guess is I wonder if I think there is a place for kind of this this readable 
readable, accessible prose that's about people really figuring out who they are. And I think in the modern world, with sort of things as unstable as they are, it's not like you just go and get a job and have the same job for 40 years. You're constantly in YA mode a little bit. You're constantly yeah. reassessing. And I think you said that as well. And I, I wonder if that's part of the reason why YA has taken off more than some kind of like, you know, adults are stupid. <laughs> and also think about this. What a fantastic revelation about truck drivers and your book specifically, because your books are about people trapped in a can yeah, yeah. with <laughs> no way to, you know, they are completely stranded from everywhere else for the entire, like, start They're to hurtling finish. hurtling through space. That's what it is. And <laughs> to be a truck driver who is listening to audiobooks as, you know, he or she is driving, you know, through the darkness as they do, I mean... Wow, I'm. I bet. I okay. I I think there's a connection there. I think we found something. I think there. so too. <laughs> I, that's my theory. <laughs> I hope yeah. we all learned something. Um. <laughs> I, I'm kind of. I, I'm curious. You've got this this new book coming out, and I have to say, it, yes. it looks really great. Unfortunately, we weren't able to procure copies in time because we were. Uh, it was just kind of all of it. Life got in the way. Life got in the way. <laughs> Um, but what, I mean, how did you take everything that you've learned in, in writing this new book? And do you, do you feel, do you feel like you've improved as a writer from book to book? Or I know with me, sometimes I feel like I really improve and then one book is actually a lot harder and I feel like all the improvement is gone. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, writing a world without you was like writing the first book that I'd ever written before because it's, it's a contemporary Although it's a contemporary with a weird twist. Yeah, it's a cool um, twist. The, the basic premise of the book is that it's a boy who can travel through time and he's trapped his girlfriend in the past during the Salem witch trials. But the school for superheroes that he thinks he's attending is actually a boarding school for mentally disturbed youth. And so everything is out the window as to what's real and what's not. And so in a lot of ways, it did feel like this was the first book I ever wrote because it it has the weird elements that I tend to write, but it also was a contemporary and I had to keep reality in there right. without fully letting go of my own personal style. So it, it was a learning curve for sure. Um, it was also a very personal book for me to write mm. because my brother had mental illness and ultimately he ended up dying because of that. Mm. And so it, it brought up a lot of personal memories and oh, yeah. through the editing process, the sister of the main character actually becomes a narrating character for several chapters and that became even more visceral. Mm, so it, God, it was a yeah. book that was a difficult thing to write for sure. And it was one I had to kind of teach myself how to write all over again. Yeah. How did it feel from going from writing fantasy SF um, uh -huh. where you can make the rules and if you decide that you don't like the rules of reality as they would be on earth, you can change them to even with this, these, it sounds like this book has fantastic elements, but like you said, it's got to be grounded. What was that, what was that transition like? It, it was very, it was odd because the way I set the book up is each of the characters that the main character encounters has a different mental health issue and their mental health issues are seen through his eyes as a superpower. So for example, mm -hmm. one girl is a pyromaniac, but in, Bo's eyes, she can control fire and snap her fingers and flames erupt. So in a way, it was still writing the fantasy and sci-fi, but couching it in a sort of parallel world. 
And it was almost as if I was looking at the world through his eyes, but mm. also through reality eyes and sort of finding a balance between the fantastical and real and making everything that was real have a parallel in something that was false. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm really excited to read this book. Read this. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds tremendous. What was, did the publishing process change at all uh, going back to traditional after you had been self-published or at your perspective on it at the very least? I mean, did self-publishing change how you thought about tradition being traditionally published and how you address that process? I, I think I, especially after having self-published, I will always be frustrated by how slow traditional publishing can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so my frustration in the fact that I could not speed up time was definitely a reflection of that. Uh -huh. um, but because I was working closely with an editor, we took the book um, in a, and I had never done this before, but I wrote a 60,000 word draft and then through edits brought that up to 100,000 words hmm. and completely changed huge chunks of it. In the original draft of the story, the sister wasn't a narrating character. Half the book was told through letters mm. and all of that changed throughout the course. So it was a, it was a bit of a partnership of a book with my editor in a way I had never written before. Yeah. So that, that part was definitely a different process that I, I value that experience. So do you have, do you have the same editor for your self-published work as for your not self-published? And if not, what is your editing? What did your editing process look like for, for self-published? Um, for the body electric, I was lucky enough to have my same editor that I used with across the universe for awesome. most of it. I had to hire somebody else for copy edits, but mm -hmm. for, for the rest of it, it was all the same editor, which was, I was very lucky for. And then for paper hearts, because it was nonfiction, I didn't need a content editor. Yeah. I, you just I copy edited it. Out. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I actually haven't had to find a developmental editor yet, and I'm terrified of the process. <laughs> I know how important one is. So. Yeah, I, I think it's tricky. I think, I mean, I think the first step for, for our listeners is just recognizing the value in it. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's something that we try to push here. Um, mm -hmm. And finding really someone who can find that, find your heart of the story. I think that is, mm -hmm. you put it beautifully, Beth. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I would say, too, don't look for someone who, who gets you. I think that's been my yeah. feeling with editors. It's like don't – it's not like cover design in that sometimes – like as, as a cover designer, you want someone who gets you, but more than that, you want someone who gets your genre. I, and, and you want that with an editor, too, but I think with an editor, the stakes are a little bit higher in making sure that they get you more than they get the genre because – yeah. And I think I would also say it is so much about like the relationship and there, I don't think there's any editor who will be the right person for all people. But I think there's also, I like in looking at clients, I love the vibe of challenging someone in a good way. And I hate the experience of challenging someone in a way that makes them feel defeated. And I like I, I get better at not doing the latter, but at the same time, you can't always control that. And as a writer, I think that part of what you want is someone that makes you feel like they're making you better um, and in a way that you feel good about. And if you don't, then get it's out. like looking for a counselor. Well, if you're self-published, <laughs> get out. If you're traditionally published, you end a harder time of it. Right. Yeah. And I think what to me makes a good editor, at least for my personal process, is 
the editor who asks questions yeah. and doesn't necessarily make a laundry list of, well, this needs to be fixed and this needs to be yes, fixed, yes. but instead one who mm-hmm. asks, like, why does it have to be this way? Or can you show this in a different way? Right. Right. And those questions to me are the key. So that's, that's what I look for in an editor is yeah. one who can ask the questions and make me come up with an answer yeah. that will make it look better. Yeah. I, I think that that's something that I've, I've seen in my work with my mm-hmm. developmental editor um, that, you know, it's like they they can kind of say, well, here's my concern, for example, for my the book that I talk about a lot on here, Sindra's Wolf, um, where they kind of flew off to go on vacation for the last third of the book for really no reason that made any sense <laughs> in the plot. And, you know, and there was some stuff that still had to be worked out. And I had had other people read the book and they had been like, well, you just need to have them not fly out on vacation, which sort of makes sense. But what really needed to happen is they just need to work out their stuff and they can work their stuff out on vacation. That's okay, You know, Mm -hmm. and so it's like just having someone who can actually find what is the not the surface solutions, but the deep questions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, sorry for the tangent. I know we're winding down, but I will, I don't want to leave regretting not asking this question. Oh, yeah. About no, the latest no. book. The latest book is, you know, as you say, grounded in reality and also coming from, it sounds like a really personal place where yeah. there's the mentally ill boy and his sister. I am dying to know what you have to say about writing something that sounds like it is so close to you and making it a book. Yeah, it, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was not at all my intent, really. Um, the original idea for it was just, that it, there was a mental institution parallel with the superhero school. And the original idea was more of along the lines of like a Christopher Nolan movie, like Memento, right. something like that, where you're, not, you're, you're questioning reality. It was, it was supposed to be kind of trippy and weird. And it was through edits and through my editor constantly pushing me to take it one step farther and make it more personal and, yeah. and to, to really tap into those emotions that it happened. And as I was writing, I was terrified that it was actually too personal to mm. me because yeah. there, are, there are little, and it's, it's not an autobiography by any stretch of the imaginations, but there are little details that mm. are accurate. Like the girl yeah. remembers when she learned how to drive and her brother gave her some words of advice. And those are the same words of advice that my brother gave mm. me when I was learning how to drive. And so those parts are the real part. And it's not so much that the, the mental health issue is real because my brother's mental health issues did not manifest themselves into a delusion in this way. But the, the feeling and the emotion of it was right. what was mm-hmm. real and what tapped into reality. And I'm still terrified that it's going to yeah. be something that is perfect for me, but other readers won't connect with. But I'm, I'm hoping that it will find the audience and that the audience it needs to find will be the same kind of person like I, that I was when I was a teenager. Right. I have a strong feeling that will not be a concern. This, well, I can't you. wait to read this book. Yeah. I well, think, thank you. Thank I think you. it's really exciting. Um, yeah. Well, I think we've got to wrap up, uh, but do you have any last, last questions or thoughts or things you'd like to share with us or, or our listeners? I mean, what are the last thoughts that you'd like to kind of leave people who are in the indie publishing space who want to become better writers? Sorry if that's too big of a question. No, no, that's a great question. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and it it follows up well with what what we were just talking about is especially for writers, there is a difference between what's real and what's true. Mm. And truth is is nonfiction. It is fact. 
But what's real is the emotional heart of the story. It's the feeling. It's it's making a story that rings right. real to people. And so I think the best thing as a writer you can do is to find the reality and the truth of your stories and really explore it. And mm. when I was writing A World Without You, the original draft was just fine. It was a twisty plot. It was something that my readers, I was confident, would love. But it was pushing it into the realm of what was my reality and what was true to me that has made the book be what it is and has made the book be more special to me than almost anything else I've written. Mm. So I would encourage any writer to push themselves into, into truth. Awesome. What a finisher. A plus. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you again, Beth. It's just been a real pleasure. And Absolutely. I'm so, so I'm so stoked to get to meet talk to you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.